Welcome to Engage Boise. We hope that you enjoy this live recording of our Sunday service. Today we're jumping into something uh, brand new, the series that we're going to call Heaven in the Real World. Heaven in the Real World. In my mind, it's kind of centered around this question. What would it be like if Jesus, the one who we sang about, prayed to, who spoke to Pastor Wendy today, if she brought that message, um, what would it be like if Jesus... Uh, the man that if you were a Christian, he's, you believe he's the son of God, the savior of the world. What would it be like if he came to earth and he lived life here as a human? We might as well be asking, right, well, the son of God coming to earth, well, that sounds impossible. We might as well be asking, what if the impossible happened? The impossible. Like, what if I woke up tomorrow and I was 6'2"? Instead of 5'7", I was 6'2". That would be the impossible. 6'2 would be awesome. I've always said 5'10 because I think I could have dunked if I was 5'10 at some point in my life. <laughs> what if I woke up tomorrow and I had all my hair back? Like all of a sudden, just whole head of crazy hair. That would be, yeah. These are impossible things, right? But the answer to the question we're asking, what if heaven came to earth? It actually did happen, right? We know this. We have a record of it right here in God's word. We have a record of it in the New Testament. It's prophesied all over the Old Testament. Jesus, the son of God, left heaven, and he brought some of heaven with him to the very planet that we live and breathe on. Now, it might feel different to us now because Jesus has ascended into heaven, sits at the right hand of the Father. That's what Luke chapter 24 tells us. But Jesus literally came to earth in the form of a helpless baby. He lived for 33 years. He walked the same dust, the same rocks that we do. And that's why it's so powerful if you can ever take a trip to Israel. I have not had the privilege to do it yet. Because you can go walk the literal same places that Jesus walked. The places we're going to talk about today, the Jordan River, you can go to those exact places. We're going to spend some time over the next little while uh, through the month of October talking about different events that happened when heaven literally came to earth. And we have to acknowledge right away that whenever we talk about something like this, we have to acknowledge it, proclaim it right away that Jesus, this is a huge part of being a Christian, we believe that Jesus was fully God and fully man when he was on earth. Fully God and fully man. We see this throughout the Gospels. In Jesus, he takes on human characteristics, but he also shows his deity over and over. But Paul, later on, uh, after the Gospels, he distills it down for us in Philippians uh, chapter 2, verse 6 and 8. 6 through 8, I think we have it on the screen for you. It says this. Paul writes this about Jesus. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. In very nature God, but being made in human likeness. That's the impossible. That's heaven in the real world. And what we have in the New Testament is this record of the majesty of Jesus and the messiness of this world coming together. Last week, we briefly mentioned, uh, the, when it's recorded in the New Testament, uh, Jesus' first recorded miracle, which was the turning of water into wine at, at a wedding. And today, we're going to rewind to even before that event to the baptism of Jesus in the River Jordan. We're going to read out of Matthew 3 this morning if you uh, want to turn there. It's really interesting because as we read this little passage, it seems like a really momentous occasion. But it's only really briefly mentioned, really briefly, in three out of the four Gospels. And even uh, we're going to touch on a couple of those. Even this account we're going to read, it's only four verses. Pretty brief. But I believe 
this account we're going to read, it's a powerful representation of heaven come to the real world. If you have your Bibles, let's read together Matthew 3, 13 through 17. I'm reading to you at the NIV today, and we've got it for you uh, up on the screen. It says this, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Heaven in the real world. First thing we, I believe we can pull out of this little passage is this. Number one, everything Jesus did on earth was marked with purpose. I remember in college I took this, uh, this class called Jesus in Modern Media. I went to Northwest University up by Seattle. And I took this class called Jesus in Modern Media. I don't remember like what credit thing it satisfied. It just it was a class I took. Um, I know I had to take it. It was 6 p.m. to 8.30 on Monday nights. Once a week for a whole semester. And uh, we would go, like, eat dinner and then rush up there, sometimes take our dinner in there. Mostly we looked at these different movies that depicted Jesus while he was on earth. Right? Since the beginning of television, people have been trying to depict the life of Jesus on earth. And it's been done with varying degrees of success. Some of them are good. Some of them are terrible. Varying degrees of truth or outright heresy. I remember some movies when I was a teenager that were heretical that everyone was really mad about and they were terrible. But I remember we watched this movie. It was really well known. I don't remember the name of it. That's how well known it was. But our professor told us it was really well known. It was a silent movie, so I kind of had a hard time staying focused. But I remember what it featured is a lot of Jesus and the disciples walking around. They were just like walking all the time. Jesus was always at the front, and he had this very like determined look on his face. He was always just like marching. Marching, everyone was just following him all the time. Jesus was always at the front, the disciples trailing behind. And they got one part right, that Jesus did do a lot of walking. The disciples did do a lot of walking. But I actually don't, when I read what goes on in the New Testament, I don't read it that way. I actually imagine a lot of Jesus being right in the middle of whoever he's walking with. And I would think there was many long conversations, many shared experiences that made them all laugh. But it does remind me, when I think back on that, that there was purpose to what Jesus did. And as we look back over these events over the next couple months, I believe we'll plainly see that Jesus was intentional in every single thing that he did, every situation he was in. Even when it seemed like it was unexpected, Jesus was intentional with his actions. And we see it right here, before his public ministry has really begun. Look at just uh, verse 13 right there. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan. You see, Jesus did not just happen upon this gathering of people and decide, oh, I'm, oh, wow, this looks interesting. I might as well get baptized myself. He'd come to the point in his life where he knew that it was time for him to begin his public ministry. It's time for him to begin the process that eventually would lead him to sacrificing his life for all mankind. And it says right there that Jesus came from Galilee and his hometown of Nazareth was in Galilee. So that's probably where he came from. This is about, if you're on foot, about a 150-mile journey. And as we said, they did everything on foot in these times. There was uh, no cars, 
no planes, none of that. If they were lucky, they may have had a donkey or a horse or something, but they very likely didn't. About a 150-mile journey on foot. So quite simply, several days of walking on foot for Jesus to get from his home to the Jordan River. And surely as Jesus made this journey, though, he knows he's leaving the relative anonymity of where he is. And he's purposely walking towards the time when he's going to reveal to the people exactly who he is. And I'm sure Jesus, remember, he's fully God and fully man. He's reflecting on his purpose. It was probably a lonely walk at some times. He's reflecting on his life up to this point. Surely he's praying and talking to his Father God. You see, Jesus, he went to the Jordan River on purpose that day. And what Jesus' purpose was then was to begin the process of laying down his life for humanity. We see that he didn't only go to the Jordan on purpose, but he went to be baptized by John specifically. All of verse 13 reads, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. Now, if you know the New Testament at all, you know this is not the first time that Jesus and John the Baptist had crossed, crossed paths. You know, of course, that Jesus' mother was Mary, but John the Baptist's mother was named Elizabeth. And Mary and Elizabeth were cousins, and when Mary was pregnant with Jesus, she went to see Elizabeth, who was pregnant with John. And Luke 144 tells us, we read this uh, Christmas time all the time, Luke 144 tells us that John leapt in the womb of his mother when Mary spoke. It sounds like poetic and majestic when we talk about it, but it probably was not all that comfortable for Elizabeth, right? The baby leaping inside of her womb. We think it sounds great. She probably didn't really love it at the time. Fast forward 30 years from that moment, and John's calling people to repentance from their sin. He's been living in the desert. The Bible says he's dressed in camel's hair, eating locusts. And he's baptizing them in water, and that baptism in water is representing their turn from the old to the new life. These people had not met Jesus yet. He was still on his way from Galilee. But John also knew what his purpose was. And his purpose, if you rewind a little bit in the book of Matthew and you read the Gospel of John, his purpose was to prepare the way for Jesus. And what Jesus would do on earth is he would minister with tons of purpose for the next three years. But what he came to do in that moment was to be baptized in water and to have it done by his cousin, John the Baptist. But we need to realize, friends, that Jesus did everything with purpose in mind. And to this day, 2023, on the planet Earth, Boise, Idaho, right down to where you and I are today, engage Boise Church in your life. Jesus, he walks into it with purpose. He does not just happen upon you. He knows you're here. He knows you're sitting here. He knows the condition of your heart. And if you have encountered him at any time in your life, you walked into it with purpose. Make no mistake, when we sang songs we worshiped earlier, Jesus walked into that with purpose to encounter us today. Believe it or not, friends, it is hard to believe sometimes that Jesus has a plan for your life when you encounter him. When you encounter Jesus, he has a plan for you. You are living where you're living, in the house, on the street. You have the room you have, all of that. You're doing that for a reason. You are married to the person that you are married to for a reason. And you are sitting in this very room in the chair you're sitting in for a reason. You see, friends, Jesus, he moves with purpose in our lives when we choose to walk with him. When we make a choice to follow Jesus, he moves with purpose in our lives. Just like he walked down to the Jordan River that day, he moves with purpose. And when we surrender to Jesus, friends, 
And for us, what that looks like is just giving him all the pieces and parts of our lives broken as it seems like they may be, right? Here's my heart, Lord. It's been broken like 10 or 12 or 15 or 20 times, but here you go. Or here's my family. Man, I am trying so hard, but it seems like I can barely keep them together. Man, here's my work, Lord. It feels so pointless sometimes. Here's my gifts and abilities, Lord. They don't seem like that much. and I've tried to get better at stuff, but just... You see, everything that Jesus did was marked with purpose. When we surrender all those seemingly random parts of our lives to Jesus, he takes them and he molds them and he immediately begins to move with purpose within us. Just like he walked down to the Jordan River with purpose that day, he walks into our life and he takes those pieces and he puts them together. You also see in this account of John baptizing Jesus that everything Jesus did was marked with humility. We talked briefly at the end of service uh, last week about Jesus at the end of his life. How just before he was arrested and sentenced to death, he could have chosen to do anything he wanted, any miracle, any sign or wonder. He could have outed the Pharisees, the Sadducees for who they actually were. What he chose to do instead was partake in the Last Supper with his 12 closest friends. Not only that, after dinner, he washed their feet. This is an act of service that's usually reserved for the lowest person in the room. Uh, he, marked, he washed everyone's feet. There was 11 really close friends and one who would betray him in that room, and he washed them all. You see, the end of Jesus' life was marked by humility. And even on the cross, the Bible says he could have ordered uh, a host of angels to rescue him. It might be really surprising that he did not do that unless we see what happens at the beginning of his earthly ministry here. You know what I encounter all the time? Yo, I love sports. If you've been here very long, you hear me talk about sports once every couple weeks. Our, in sports and in general, our world is full of people wanting to tell you how great they are. Every single day, every single moment, you run into someone that wants to tell you how awesome they are. Social media, internet has just made it worse. <clears throat> there might even be a few people that are bold enough to tell you how humble they are. Right? That's probably a red flag if someone says, I'm, the, I'm very humble. Please go follow my Instagram account, uh, humble person number one, two, three, right? That's a dead giveaway. You should not follow that one. <laughs> Most of our culture, friends, is full of people busy letting us know how great they are. And it's a bummer. There's even people who claim to be followers of Christ who they're really busy letting us know how awesome they are. They're letting us, trying to let us know, right, how they are the best at what they do, how they deserve more Recognition, how their business or their social media thing or their church deserves more recognition. How they ha should have more authority because of how smart or how powerful they are. Contrast that with what we see here in the New Testament when we see Jesus. Jesus who actually did have all manner of power and authority available to him. He had all those things. He's demonstrating what it was like to have that power but to not abuse it. Just, uh, I wrote this step part down last night actually. Um, just as I was going over these notes. And um, if you're here, if you're listening online, I want you to know wherever you are. If you have seen people that lead churches, Christian organizations, act this way, abuse their power. And my guess is that all of you have seen it because I've seen it. I just want you to know, and God wants you to know, that's not the way of the Jesus that we follow. He doesn't abuse power. Um, doesn't use it to get what he wants. Jesus demonstrated what it was like to have power but not abuse it. Just the very act of having someone else baptizing him instead of the other way around. 
It shows us Jesus' heart and thinking in that situation, right? Jesus could have marched down and been like, all right, John, you've had your moment. It's my turn to baptize. Please step aside. Shows us Jesus' heart in this situation. There's this detail in Luke's account of John baptizing Jesus that, to me, illustrates it even further. It's interesting, like I said, because these other accounts are all much shorter. But look, uh, just really briefly, what Luke 3.21 says. Uh, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. When all the people were being baptized. Now, if there is anyone in the history of the world who deserved their own special baptism service... This would have been the person right here, right? If there was anyone you might have had a special Sunday night service for to honor or hear from, right? It would have been this guy, Jesus. This was the person. But that is the opposite of uh, Jesus' heart throughout his ministry on earth, and it starts right here. It's no different as it begins right here on the banks of the Jordan River. Remember what Jesus would later tell his disciples, who at the time uh, were at the beginning of arguing about this really silly argument about who would be the greatest in heaven. Remember what Jesus says to them then, Matthew 20, 28, the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We can even see it in the fact that we know very little about what Jesus did from the age of 12 to about this time. We know the story of his birth, uh, we know that they went and they lived in Nazareth. We know when he was 12 or so, his parents took him to the synagogue and they accidentally left him there. After that, we know that he learned to build from his father, Joseph. People called him the carpenter's son. And the Jews at this time, the Jewish people, they hoped that the king would come as a conquering victor. He'd come and with a sword and he would, he would destroy things and kill people. But the purpose of Jesus we just read, and he's showing it here as he comes to be baptized, is his purpose was to come as a suffering servant. Even though Jesus had the highest authority from heaven, any authority, any power he wanted, he came as a suffering servant. How many of you know, I've learned this the hard way in my life, that authority is something that is given and not taken? People give you authority. You don't take it. That's why we give our lives to Christ instead of him taking it by force. He could take it by force if he wants it. That's why we give our lives to him. Because when I give my life to Jesus, it short circuits any kind of rebellion before it starts. I'm not trying to take something back from him, right? I'm giving him my life. Before we note this final truth, uh, one more thing about humility. The life of Jesus marked by humility, it starts here. But also a life that is surrendered is marked by humility. My life your life, when they are surrendered to Jesus, they are marked by humility. We see this really awesome example we can't overlook as we return to Matthew's uh, narrative of it that we read. In the actions of John the Baptist. John, for his part, he does what maybe some of us would do. You see, John knew divinely that Jesus would be coming, right? He was the one who would prepare the way. He leapt in the womb of his mother when Jesus' mother walked in. He knew that he was sent to prepare the way. In fact, just before Jesus comes, if you read a little earlier in Matthew 3, it says, Matthew 3.11, I baptize you with water. John's talking to the people. I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. Right? He knew there was someone coming after him that was more important than he was. Just Let's not miss here that John, just like many of us are trying to do, he was doing great work. He was doing the Lord's work. John the Baptist was doing the Lord's work at the Jordan River, and he was doing a great job. People were coming from all over 
to repent of their sins and to be baptized. They had not even met the person of Jesus yet, and they were coming from all over because they realized what they had been doing was not good and not right and not working. Matthew 3, 5, people went to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of Jordan. Don't miss that little sentence there. Even the Jewish people, those people who previously believed you gained entry to sacrifice, entry to heaven by sacrifices and laws, the Jewish uh, culture where the Pharisees and the Sadducees came from, they were hearing about this guy, John, and they were coming to the river, and they did not know what was going on. They just knew they needed to do it, and they were repenting of their sin. If anyone was doing good work for the Lord, it was John. If anyone had a, a strong and healthy and th- thriving ministry, it was John, to put it in modern terms. And John had been telling the people, Matthew 3, 2, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. But a heart that is surrendered to God, that heart is surrendered or marked by humility. And when the kingdom of heaven comes walking right down to the river in bodily form, right, John's first response when Jesus says he wants to be baptized, if I might summarize, we read it. John is like, no, it's me that needs to be baptized by you, Lord. I've done my part. Would you please baptize me? Well, I see this as an incredible response from John. He's willing, I mean, he's been in the desert most of his life, and he comes to start preparing the way for Jesus. But he's willing to set aside all these people who have come to him, this large ministry that's gathered around him, to just bow before his Savior. But the thing is, Jesus had come to be baptized, and he'd come to be baptized with the others who were repenting of their sin. The reason is because Jesus' life was marked with humility from the beginning. And that leads us to the question, though, and that takes us to our last truth this morning. And that's this. Why would Jesus, the pure and spotless sacrifice, why would he come to be baptized next to a bunch of sinners? People just like you and me. Could have been you and me by the river that day. Why would he do that? The reason is this. Number three, Jesus identified himself with our sin. Friends, this is why baptism, water baptism that we're going to do next week, is why it's such a powerful part of our lives. It's a powerful manifestation, representation of what Jesus' life and death and resurrection, powerful, uh, powerful version of what they mean. What does it mean when we say uh, we identify with someone? Let's kind of break that down for a moment. Well, simply, if we say uh, we identify with someone, it means we understand that we uh, can feel what they're going through. If I identify with you, I, I can feel what it is you're going through, right? Uh, man, the classic example of this is when somebody has kids. If you don't know about our family, we have a uh, 27-year-old that we adopted when she was 13. So we had this 27 or 13-year-old come live in our house, 13-year-old girl. And we have two boys. They're running around here. Uh, they are 10 and 8. So whenever someone says to me, man, teenage girls, what are you going to do with them? I cannot and be like, I know, right? I identify with that. Why don't they ever come out of their room? Why don't they ever have a good day, right? I can identify with all those things. When someone says to me, Pastor Chase has shared with me several times about his kids uh, uh, not sleeping. Uh, I tell you with honesty, my kids, especially my son John, was the worst sleeper in the world when he was young. I'm mean, hilariously terribly bad. So when someone comes to me and I can see the tiredness in their eyes, they're like, oh, that kid wouldn't sleep. I'm like, I got you. I identify with you. I know what you're feeling. 
I used to sit and read stinking uh, Dr. Seuss, one apple up on top, 3.30 in the morning all the time next to his crib. I, I can identify with what they're feeling, right? You see, because Jesus came and he lived 33 years or so on this earth. And he experienced every emotion that we could ever feel. And then, not only that, he died at the end of his life and he rose again. Because Jesus did that, he did not only forgive us of our sin, but by having John baptize him among all the other people who had come to repent, he was identifying himself with them and their sin. He was walking down next to these people, next to the river. He's saying, I understand what you're going through. This is why my father sent me. You see, Jesus had every right to be standing next to John, calling the sinners to repent. But of setting, instead of standing above them, he went and he stood right next to them. And friends, this, in this moment today, this is the power of the gospel. This is what makes Christianity different from every other religion you're ever going to encounter in the world. Because in the very moment you find yourself, Jesus does not stand above you in judgment. Instead, he stands next to you, he stands next to me in understanding and grace. You see, Jesus, for some reason, he willingly chose to identify himself with me. And because I'm a sinful human, with all my faults and failures, that means that he identifies himself with my sins as well. And Jesus tells his cousin, when he, John, when John protests, hey, John, this is necessary to fulfill all righteousness. And it's just reference to this prophecy from Isaiah 53 where it says of the coming Savior, Isaiah 53, 12, he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. Hey, you know who the transgressors are? That's me. Jesus was numbered with the transgressors. Now understand, church, in this moment, Jesus did not need to repent of anything. He was sinless in any way, shape, or form. But he knew that the people, and he knew that Israel as a nation did, and he knew that all the people lined up at the river did. And so he took part alongside them, and he pointed them to the salvation that he would one day bring. And Jesus, in this moment, he was dedicating himself to the task of forgiving the sins of the people forever. And not just them, but every single person, he would come after them. That means us sitting in this place. Friends, if you don't walk out of here today remembering any other thing, remember that heaven came to the real world in Jesus because he came in that way, Jesus stands next to you and he identifies with you. He knows you. He knows what you're feeling. He knows what you're walking through. It's not a prayer that you pray, but it's a savior and a friend that feels what you feel. Sometimes, friends, when our hearts are a raging ocean, how many of you have been where your hearts are raging ocean? My hand is up. When our hearts are raging ocean and we desperately need peace, but we need, we don't need someone to come and give us a solution, right? We need someone to walk up to us and say, I, I I've been there. I know what you're going through. And because he identifies, as a, identifies with us, because Jesus had lived it, man, as, as we read about Jesus' life, he was betrayed, he was hated, pain was inflicted upon him, he experienced intense sadness. Remember, he goes to the garden before he's going to be crucified, and he talks to God, and he says, Lord, if there's any other way. He identifies with us, friends. And we see in this passage in Matthew that when John baptizes Jesus, something wonderful, supernatural, amazing happens. And all three parts of the Trinity are present at once, right? Jesus, the Son of God, is there in the water. In verse 16 and 17, God speaks, and the Holy Spirit 
comes. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Truly for a moment, heaven in the Jordan River that day, heaven had come to the real world. Can you imagine being the one who was standing next to Jesus in the baptism line in the river, right? You guys, you're standing there. You're making small talk. Where'd you come from? How's your day going? And then Jesus gets in the river and gets baptized and heaven opens and the dove comes down and God's voice speaks. And you're like, man, I thought there was something different about that guy. <laughs> but it's so important that God himself, Father God, spoke here. Because all of those, pres- those people present, especially those who are of Jewish heritage, they would have recognized this language from the Messianic prophets they've read. Isaiah 42 says, here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit in him, and he will bring justice to the nations. It's also powerful. The Holy Spirit descends like a dove. We know in Acts, as we read later on, the Holy Spirit comes with fire. But the dove was known as a sign of peace. And so here literally is the Holy Spirit of peace descending on Jesus as he comes out of the water. Sometimes, friends, the Spirit does come in fire. But sometimes it comes in a peace that we can't explain. Sometimes the Spirit comes in a peace that we can't explain. A peace that we can't find any other way. Here's what it comes down to this morning, friends. When we're baptized in water, it's powerful because not only does Jesus identify with us, when we are baptized in water, we are proclaiming that we identify with him. Putting away our old nature and we're taking up the nature of Jesus. We're symbolizing that we are exchanging death for life. When we accept Christ into our lives, like when I give you a chance to do in a moment, when we accept him. We're symbolizing, well, when we accept him, friends, we're taking, giving away our identity, we're taking up his identity. When we get baptized in water, we're symbolizing we've been made new because of the redeeming power that Jesus' blood shed for us. The only qualification, friends, for being baptized is uh, that we're to have accepted Christ as our Savior. I'm not sure if there's any of you here that haven't been baptized in water. There's nowhere here that says we have to in order to go to heaven. But what it is is this outward expression of what God has done inside of us. And if you're here today and you're like, the Lord is speaking to me to give my life to him, and next week you decide you want to be baptized, it's not too soon to do it. You don't have to go prove yourself, clean yourself up. It's an outward expression of what God has done inside of us. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. Friends, you need to know this morning that when Jesus walked down to the Jordan River and he was baptized among all those people and heaven opened, he identified with you. And when we accept him into our lives, we get to identify with him. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning? We're almost done. You need to know this this morning, friends. That God made each of us to be his sons and daughters. Every single one of us is sinful and in our own way, we are far from the God who made us. Some of you have been down this road, right? As hard as we try, there's nothing we can do to fix sin on our own. You can't be good enough. 
can't work hard enough. But Jesus, the Son of God, he came to earth, fully God and fully man. And he identifies with the sorrow that this earth cannot heal. He died and he rose again, friends. And when we put our trust in him, he gives us eternal life. You know, when we die, when we pass from this earth, we go to heaven. When we give our lives to Jesus, he takes, we take our place as a son or daughter of God and a place is reserved for us in heaven. Friends, today, no matter where you've been, what you've run from, what you've run to, how hard it has been up to this point, you need to know Jesus identifies with you. He feels what you feel. So our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. We're going to pray together in a moment. But if you're here and you don't know Jesus, or maybe you did, but today you know you're far from him and you need to rededicate your life to him, would you just raise your hand so I can know to pray for you this morning, to pray over you, to pray with you? Thank you. Friends, the Lord is speaking in this moment. We're going to say a prayer, and I encourage every single person. I'm going to ask every single person in this place to repeat it after me. Um, And if you've said it, you're reaffirming your faith in Jesus, but also you're agreeing with those who have raised their hands. If you raise your hand and you're saying this prayer and you mean it from your heart, God is renewing you today. You're becoming one of his sons, one of his daughters. So everyone in the place, would you please repeat after me? Say, dear Jesus, thank you for this day. Today, I believe in you. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I exchange my identity for yours. Please come into my life. Please make me new. I will serve you all my days. In your name, amen. Friends, you can look. For those of you that said that prayer and you meant it, God is making you new in this moment. If you said that prayer before, but God is real to you today and you've never been water baptized, I encourage you, uh, scan the QR code, go sign up on the list, uh, and we'd love to baptize you in water next week. If we don't have anybody, that's fine. We won't do it. But if you're here today and you need to be baptized in water, maybe you were baptized when you were young and didn't mean anything to you, but it would now. We'd love to baptize with you. Uh, baptize you, celebrate you. Friends, I'm so grateful for the grace and compassion of Jesus. So grateful that uh, Psalm 103, my favorite chapter, probably in the whole Bible, says that he does not treat us as our sins deserve. Just know, God loves you, he's for you, and he sent his son Jesus for you. If he's made you new and you want to celebrate, we'd love to celebrate with you next week. Let's pray and we're done. Lord Jesus, thank you for this beautiful morning, that you had it in mind a long time ago, Lord, that uh, you had purpose in your life and you had purpose for this morning. I pray that you would move upon each one of our hearts. Uh, Just uh, let us understand and know your humility, Lord. Let us understand and know your purpose. Lord, for those that are downtrodden and struggling, would you let them know uh, that you identify with them. You know them. You know what they feel. You know what they're going to go out and face, and would you go with them with your strength and your mercy today? Thank you, Lord, that you do make all things work together for the good of those who serve you. We stand on that promise today. We pray you go with us with your love and your compassion and your grace and mercy. Bring us back here safely next week. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.
Amen. Friends, thanks for coming to church today. Heaven has come to the real world. His name is Jesus. We're going to talk about it the next couple months. Uh, if I haven't said hello to you, if I haven't met you, I'd love to shake your hand before you go. Uh, give you a side hug if that's the kind of thing you like. We're just really glad you came. And uh, we look forward to seeing you Wednesday night at 7 p.m. at our midweek service or uh, next week for church. Thanks for coming. We'll see you very, very soon. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more, you can visit us at engageboise.com. Have an amazing day.